Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's a joy to be here, Grant and worship team. Thank you for that wonderful leading us in worship of our Lord this morning. It's my privilege to bring the sermon which describes our Lord's presentation to the temple when he is 40 days old and all that is implied in that. And there is much that the sacred writer tells us about. So I'd like to begin by reading the text. I want to make some notes as we comment on it that I'll not be talking about in the sermon, but I think will be helpful for us as we look through the text. It's Luke chapter 2, verse, verse 22 through verse 40. The presentation of our Lord in the temple. I will read the text, make some comments, and then I will pray that God would illuminate to our hearts. Luke, 20, Luke 2, verse 22, chapter 2, verse 22. Now when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to the Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, that is, his parents. And Mary had to respect the law of purification. So she has to come with a sacrifice, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Three times Luke tells us that they did this in order to comply with what the scripture said had to be done. It is a very observant Jewish family. In the previous verse, before this passage, they had respected the rite of circumcision, which was also directed by the law of the Lord. Now her purification must be made according to the law of the Lord, and he must be offered, and ironically, the Redeemer of the world must himself be redeemed. And that is the purpose of presenting the firstborn at the temple. They must pay the five shekel that are ordained for the redemption of the firstborn. So that is the purpose. It is a, they, are, they are following exactly the law of the Lord as it is prescribed even in his infancy. And Luke is assuring us of all of this so that we know that he has kept the law perfectly even in the parents, through the parents that were ordained to respect the law of Moses. So they come. The pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons is the purification of Mary from the uncleanness of her birth. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is another term, name, for Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Notice that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Some word of direct divine revelation had come to him by the Holy Spirit that before Simeon, who was an aged man, should see death, his eyes would see the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple upon a day. Three times Luke mentions the Holy Spirit in conjunction with Simeon. He was, uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would see the Lord's Christ. 
And then he came in the Spirit into the temple, prompted by the Spirit on the very day when Mary and Joseph bring their son to present him to the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, once again, everything in the Lord's life is perfect. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, somehow the Spirit of God had identified this child. Now, I have to change the text. It is not Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I don't know why they translate it this way. The Greek is unambiguous. He says, Master, let now your bond slave depart in peace. I suspect the translators were offended by that language. But that's what the text says. And I think it's a mark of Simeon's humility. He does not shy away from recognizing that God is master. And we are servants, yes, but we are bond slaves to his covenant. If we understand who God is, that should not be off-putting. It is an honor to be a servant, a bond slave of the Lord Christ. Paul loved to call himself the bond slave of Jesus Christ. Let now, is what it should be, Master, let now your servant depart in peace. It's a final word that God has fulfilled. He's acknowledging God has fulfilled his promise to him. His eyes have beheld the Lord's Christ. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And he's looking at Jesus, who is the salvation of God. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon understands that the purpose of Israel's election is not simply for the chosen people, but it is they might be a blessing as the covenant of Abraham to all the nations to be invited to participate in this salvation. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, that is Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. How did they know? How did Simeon know to make these claims about Jesus? And so they, they know that about the supernatural revelation that they had been given about this child. But here is this old man coming up and acknowledging it without any kind of background. Simeon blessed them. After his prayer to the Lord, now he prophesies over Mary, the child's mother. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Notice that. The way we normally speak, isn't it? This child is appointed for the rise and fall. But he reverses those verbs. This child is appointed for the falling and rising. His language ultimately reflects the resurrection, the suffering that comes before the glory that is revealed. It's far more biblical. This child is appointed for the fall and rising. The rising is the word of resurrection of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, Mary, this child, over whom so many prophecies are being said, will be bitterly opposed, even to the point of blood. And he says to her, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. For the glory of this child, Mary too must suffer. She, emblematically, she is the woman who must suffer to bring the seed into the world. That suffering does not end 
when she gives birth, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. How we respond to Jesus reveals all of our hearts. Now there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, which is the Greek way of saying Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. All my life I've wondered why Luke includes this detail. She's from a northern tribe, one of the ten so-called lost tribes, and that's always arrested my attention, but I couldn't quite understand why Luke would record that detail, as interesting as it is, without some purpose. And I think God, in his grace, has shown me why that detail is important, and I'll share that with you in the exposition of the text. We are told she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Apparently, she was married, probably young, lived seven years, and was widowed, and then devoted the rest of her life until she is now 84 years of age. She spent it in the temple, would not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She is a holy woman. And coming up at that very hour, so here again, prompted clearly by the Spirit of God, she hears Simeon prophesy, and she began to give thanks to God. And to speak of him, she tells, she confesses his name. She tells about this child. To all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem, there is another name for Christ. He is our Redeemer. And so his Fame is being spread around even in his infancy. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, once again, the exactitude of their obedience, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for your holy word, and we thank you that you so love the world that this word became flesh and dwelt among us, that he might reconcile us to God by his own death. Lord, I pray that the message this morning would encourage and speak peace to all of us who are longing for the reconciliation, the consolation, and the salvation and redemption that is in Christ. Grant us these favors we ask through your Holy Spirit that once spoke to Simeon and through Anna, may he also speak to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. It may interest you to know that the country in the world that is the most Christian is not the United States any longer. This country In this country, there are three times as many evangelical Presbyterians as there are in this country. That is the normal Protestant denomination, Presbyterianism, our own. It only has 48 million people, but 10 million Presbyterians. And they have a deep and profound faith. That country is sending out missionaries all over the world sending missionaries to us, we who need it so badly. It is a tremendously prosperous country now, but it's had a very tragic, terrible history in the last century. I'm speaking, of course, of South Korea. 
God in his goodness has given me great favor over there. I've been able to travel over there a number of times, eight or ten, I can't remember. One year I went four times. The invitation, they love us, and they love the Lord, and they want to hear about Christ. Those churches over there are vast. When I would speak at this one church in Seoul, there were 12,000 in attendance. Another church, yet greater, on a Sunday morning, I would speak to 17,000 people, beautiful people, with worship, with orchestras, choir robes. They, they are traditional in the way that they express their faith. They were evangelized by Presbyterian missionaries early in the last century. And it was good, fertile soil for the gospel. But in 1910, the Japanese seized control of the Korean Peninsula. And they began to impose a Japanification on those people. They took away their language and forbade Korean to be spoken. They must speak Japanese. They took away their family names for centuries and imposed Japanese names upon them. They enslaved the people. They took these precious daughters of these people and made them comfort women for their soldiers drafted the young men into their wars of aggression. Cruel, cruel oppression that lasted for 35 years until the end of World War II. And then after that, shortly after that, came the Korean War, and the whole peninsula was devastated in those three years. It was left a complete ruin. Those people had suffered so terribly. Well, one of those early years after the Japanese occupation, when these cruel military generals came in and ran it through prefecture system, one of the Japanese generals that was in charge of a southern province, and all of the policy of Japan was to shut down any Christian church. They closed the doors. They expelled missionaries. That was not part of the Japanese program. The gospel had already taken root. Now, the Korean church is a singing church. They gave me this Bible, Korean-English Bible. All of the Bibles in Korea have the hymnal in the back. It's very handy. You can take this one book, and you have everything you need. They sing. They know these hymns. They sing them all by memory. Anyway, there was a pastor in the south part of Korea who had befriended one of these generals and begged him for the opportunity to open his doors once more and invite the townsfolk to come to sing these hymns that they missed since they could no longer have public worship. And he persisted in his request. And so upon a day, the governor, the general, gave him permission to open his church just once and to invite Christians to come, whoever would want to come, to have a sing service, sing-song service. And so they did. The pastor opened up the church. Word spread throughout the community. Christians came walking from vast distances to come to enjoy this time of worship together with their brothers and sisters in faith. And so they began the service singing hymns. 
No preaching, just singing hymns. But as they were singing, the ones in the back of the church heard the doors bolted shut. And they looked out the windows. They saw that there was a cordon of riflemen that had surrounded the church. And then they saw soldiers pouring kerosene on the little wooden frame church around and away. And very soon, the church was in flames. Some of them tried to escape through the windows, but they were cut down by the bullets. And they realized that they were all appointed to die. And so the pastor urged them to sing their way into heaven. And they sang hymn 364, Nearer, my God, to thee. As they died, perished, and that church burned to the ground. Well, many years later, 1972, by that time Japan had begun rebuilding after World War II, had already achieved a certain level of prosperity. Korea was still in ruins in 1972. And a delegation of Japanese pastors visited the Korean Peninsula. And they came through this town where this church, so many years before, had been burned to the ground. And they were smitten in their conscience for the sin of their people, although they had had nothing to do with that tragedy. And so they went home, and the Japanese churches took up a collection, enough money to rebuild that church that had been burned down so many years before. So they rebuilt the little white church, and they came, a delegation of pastors, officially to ask forgiveness of these people who had suffered so. Not just from that incident, but from all that was represented in that cruel occupation. And they sat on the stage, the Japanese pastors and the Korean pastors, and the resentments were bitter. It was hard to be on the same stage, even after so many years. And these Japanese were begging for forgiveness. Well, as part of the ceremony, after the memorials were made, and after the repentance was spoken, and the ask for forgiveness, the pastor led them in singing, Nearer, my God, to thee, in remembrance of those people who had died so many years before. Nearer, my God, to thee, nearer to thee. Even though it be a cross that raises me, still all my song shall be nearer, my God, to thee. And as they began to sing it, the tears begging for forgiveness of the Japanese, the tears of forgiveness from the Koreans. The pastors rose up and embraced each other in a marvelous reconciliation. And together, 
They sing, then with my waking thoughts, bright with thy praise, out of my stony griefs, Bethel, I'll raise. So by my woes to be, nearer my God to thee. Jesus reconciled in 1972. He still reconciles us to God and us to one another. And when he comes into the world at Christmas time, his work of reconciliation begins already. Let's take a look at the text again. I want to read it once more. Now, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. He is himself the Lord Christ. Suddenly, as Malachi had said, coming to his temple, no one would have observed this. It's just a a poor couple from Bethlehem who've made their way up the southern steps and in through the gate of Huldah. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, foreseeing that his own son one day would be born and would be so called. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, you need a little bit of background here to understand this. The law of Moses required a young couple. When the child, when, when they came, after a woman had had a child, to offer a sacrifice of purification. It is a sin offering as well as a burnt offering. So there were two that were required, two, two animals of sacrifice. She must come with a lamb, a one-year-old yearling, or and also a dove. Those were the requirements of the law. But God, in his kindness, had made provision for a couple if they were poor. The provision of the law is if she cannot afford a lamb, she can bring two doves to satisfy her sacrifice. That's the provision that God made in the law. The law law of the Lord makes provision for the poor. That is to encourage the poor that God would take note of them and to sober the rich who must determine what true riches are. So this couple comes. The fact that they bring two young doves tells you that they are poor. But that's very interesting, isn't it? Here is this couple that can only afford two doves. But heaven sees things so differently than we do. What does heaven see? When those angels look down and see this holy family, this little couple coming with their two doves, because that's all they can afford, From the perspective of heaven, they come with their dove. But Mary is carrying the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. My goodness. Whose blood, Peter says, is far more precious than gold or silver or perishable things. 
My goodness. They are poor from the perspective of earth. But I would suggest there is no one richer in heavenly mercy. God had provided a lamb for them. And he has provided the same lamb for us. With the access, whether we are rich or poor, God has already made provision for us. And that, too, is being indicated. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. The gospel writers like to talk about that. Joseph was a just man, righteous. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. Here, Simeon is a righteous man. What is his righteousness and devout aspect? What is it that's being celebrated? He's waiting in faith for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Christ, the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise is that? And he came in the Spirit into the temple. You see, mothers from all over Israel would be bringing their sons and daughters into the temple. Mothers would be bringing their children. But somehow the Spirit prompted him that that couple over there, the child that they're carrying, is what you've been waiting for, Simeon. And so he makes his way over there, prompted by the Spirit of God. And he takes the child in his arms. First one we hear about to receive the infant Christ. He takes the child in his arms in order to give thanks to God and to give his prophecy. But we see, on earth we would see an old man taking a young child, but heaven sees it so differently, doesn't it? Who is this Lord Christ? In the Old Testament, the Old Testament speaks of his everlasting arms. And the New Testament says that in him, all things in creation are held together. And he has so humbled himself in the incarnation to become an infant. And now this aged man is able to hold him in his arms. How different things on earth appear from things in heaven. And when he takes him, the Spirit convincing him that this is indeed the Lord's Christ, he prays this masterful prayer, Master, let now your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He is ready, he is saying, to die. His life's task of waiting in faith has been fulfilled, and God has kept his promise, and he is holding the Lord's Christ in his arms. Now he is ready to die. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to pray this prayer, Lord, 
Let now your servant depart in peace, for I have seen through the eyes of faith the Lord's Christ. All of us who know Jesus, although we do not wish for death, we know we are ready to die. And Simeon's prayer is ours too. The task of this life is to wait in faith until the Lord reveals his Christ to us. Then, in a fundamental sense, our work is done. We have seen the Lord, although he has tasks for us to share this gospel. So I ask you again, have you seen through the eyes of faith that Jesus is the Lord's Christ? And can you confess with Simeon that now you are ready to depart this life in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The invitation is to everyone. There is no one that is excluded by that promise. And his father and his mother who had been visited by angels in vision and in dream, were hearing these things being spoken, confirming to them what they already knew. And they marveled at these great things that were being said. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You see, Jesus can be a stone of stumbling. You can see him and reject his claims, deny his offer of mercy, dare his wrath, and stumble and fall and perish. But he can also be the cornerstone of your salvation, through whom you will come to know God in his mercy and grace. He is set for the fall and rising of many, and for a sign that is opposed He will be opposed in spite of this being God's great gift, for he so loved the world that he gave us the Son. He will be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Simeon knows that Mary, too, must suffer. We'll see some of that suffering next week. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. It's remarkable how Luke is arranging these for us to compare them. An old man, Simeon, and an old woman, Anna. And he tells us, he goes out of his way to say, she, by the way, was from one of the northern tribes of Israel. She's from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then she was a widow until she was 84, and she did not depart from the temple. She is faithful. You see, Simeon is Judean. He is from the ancient kingdom of Judah. Asher is part of Israel. And here they are. Judah and Israel coming together 
to praise the Lord Jesus. That ancient quarrel, beginning with the folly of the son of Solomon, had divided the people of God a thousand years before. And that division, so hurtful, devastating to the people of God, had never been healed, really. Never been fully reconciled. But the prophets in the Old Testament longed for the one who would bring Joseph, as the northern tribes were called, back together with Judah. And here it is. Anna is chosen to represent the northern tribes. A woman. And Simeon represents Judea. And how are they brought together? They are reconciled in Jesus. Reconciled in him. An elderly man, an elderly woman, both, by the way, are given equal dignity in speaking prophetically about Christ. Luke is very, very much passionately concerned about that. The woman and the man brought together. Simeon's and Anna blessed the young couple, the holy child. Now think about the reconciling work of Jesus. Simeon and Anna, the old and the young, bless this infant child. The old and the young are reconciled. It's beautiful. Simeon and Anna, male and female, that too needs to be reconciled, doesn't it? And they come together in blessing this holy child. Simeon, the Judean, Anna, the Israelite, both are united in Jesus. Mary and Joseph represent the poor. But in truth, they are very rich in Jesus. Rich and poor. Simeon sees Jesus as the glory of Israel, but also as the light of the Gentiles. Even in his infancy, Jesus is bringing together old and young, male and female, Israel and Judah, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. My goodness, what a Savior. Jesus will heal these ancient quarrels and bring together those we could never imagine being united in reconciliation. And so what is the message of the text to you? Is anyone here broken? Any relationship ruined? Anyone estranged from family or friends? Jesus is the consolation and the redemption of his people. And he is here now, today. That is his role in redemption. His chief work is to unite us with God. For God was in Christ, 
reconciling the whole world to himself. Simeon says, Now let your bondslave depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Are you able, honestly, to pray Simeon's prayer? Do you know Christ's light? Have you come to see his salvation? Anna's proclamation, is Jesus the redemption you are looking for as well? Have you been reconciled to God? Reconciliation is the message of this text. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Reconcile. How? Why do you think this world is broken? Why are we broken? Why are you broken? It's very simple. Three parts to it. The whole biblical gospel is in three parts. Why are we broken? Why is the world broken? It's because we are broken. And we constitute the world. And why are we broken? It's because Adam's sin, don't you remember? His sin and death, the Bible says, is imputed. It's transmitted to us. So we are born in disobedience. And our nature is defiled in sin. Paul says the sin and death of Adam passes upon all because he says all have sinned. And the truth is, everyone knows this, everyone dies. Why? Because death is the penalty of sin. And death outs all of us as sinners. Adam's sin is transmitted to us. And we ratify it by our own disobedience. So what did God do about our brokenness? He gave us his son. He so loved you that he gave his own son. Holy, perfect, undefiled. He gave his own son to what? To take our sin and our death upon himself. The second movement. Adam's sin and death is transmitted to me, my sin. And death is transmitted to Christ, who suffers on my behalf, in my place. That's why he died. He was dying for my sin and for your sin, all of you who have appealed to him for mercy. He takes our sin away. But in exchange for our sin, he does something even more more marvelous in many ways, the third movement. He gives us in return. After taking our sin, he gives us his righteousness, his obedience. He has kept the law perfectly, as we've seen in this text, and that obedience becomes our own. So we stand before God. Our sins have been taken away. The righteousness of Christ has been transmitted to us and we are prepared for heaven by his obedience and by our faith. Gospel is very simple. Adam's sin transmitted to me, my sin transmitted to Jesus, Jesus' righteousness given back to me. And what do I have to do for it? Well, Paul tells you. All you have to do is believe. Paul says this, confess with your mouth. 
make confession, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, believing that Jesus was raised by Father God in righteousness, vindicating his righteousness, and promising our own resurrection. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess. Tell people. Evangelize. Do the good work of telling what God has done in your life. And Paul says you will be saved. That's it. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And then, with Simeon, you can say, Master, let now your bondservant depart this world in peace, for I have seen, mine eyes have seen, the salvation of the Lord. Father, we thank you for our precious Lord. His work of reconciliation is beyond anything we could have ever asked or thought who offers us the hope that the deepest hurts of our lives can be healed, that those wounds that are too deep to heal can even yet find balm and succor and redemption. We thank you for our precious Lord Jesus. We ask that you would bless us this morning for his namesake, he who is the Lord's Christ the consolation of Israel, and the reconciliation of Jerusalem, and the light of the Gentiles, as well as the glory of Israel. Amen.